Would you open God's precious holy word to Philippians chapter 1. We will be in verses 9 and 10 and 11 today. Paul is continuing the opening of his letter to the Philippians. We have noted that joy is the fundamental message of Philippians, the joy expressed from the apostle who is in prison, expressing his joy to Christians who are so dear to him. They've been supportive and they have expressed their love to him in so many ways. He writes to them one of his prison epistles. And so here he prays. He prays for the Philippians. On the other end of the Philippians, for whom he's praying, that they may grow in this way. And so the Holy Spirit, through Paul, his letter to the Philippians, speaks to us as well. What is Paul praying for? How then shall we seek to be the recipients of the apostolic emotional prayer born out of his joy for people whom he loves so much? We break it down in four parts here and we try to take this into our hearts that we might grow accordingly as he prayed for the Philippians. So let's start it off in verse nine. And this I pray, Paul's prayer. A recorded prayer in the scriptures. There are many of them. Most of the Psalms are prayers that become songs. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit of God Let's take David the psalmist, for example. The Holy Spirit enters into his heart and God gives him the prayer because it is inspired scripture. God breathed. And in his dilemma, David starts out with an emotional cry Sometimes saying something like, why am I in this mess? Or have you considered what's happening to me? And in those Psalms, generally there are three parts. You know, he, he moves from, from personal, emotional expression to a calming heart and spirit who begins to acknowledge the power of God, the presence of God, and then ends the Psalm with glory and praise to God because even though he's still in the dilemma, in his prayer, God has tamed his heart, calmed his heart, and has caused him to acknowledge the truth 
that God's in control. He wouldn't be there uh, if God, I mean, God knows where he is, put him there and God's going to take care of it. So the prayers of the Psalms are very interesting that a, that a man could fall down on his face and pray a prayer, perhaps not realizing that it's God who gave him the prayer. Think about that. God giving him a prayer, ex- initially expressing something like, where are you? Why am I here alone? Because God understands. Now let's move that forward to the prayer here of the apostle. God understands how we need abounding, increasing love in our lives as Christians. And that love becomes productive. We'll see that here in Paul's prayer. So first of all, let's look at this phrase. I pray that your love, now that's agape. We know about agape. It is not an emotion, it's a duty. Agape, love, it's a duty that we have. It is the selfless sacrifice of one individual on behalf of others, agape. I know, I pray that your love may abound. The word abound is an interesting, uh, is an interesting word uh, in that it, it's, an, it's an increasing, it's, an, it's a thing that self-increases. Parisue, that it, uh, that it grows from within itself and it abounds. It, it overflows and keeps going. He, he acknowledges the fact that we as Christians possess this divinely given love that is a duty unlike love that is expressed in any other way by any other people in the world, only Christians, because it comes from above. And because it comes from above, it can keep growing. It, it can keep on going. It can keep abounding and abounding. He shows here what's left in this, in this uh, text. He shows how it can abound. So the first thing he says is that it may abound yet more and more in knowledge. Now that's the common word for knowledge in the, in the Greek text. It, it means that uh, you've added to your gray matter. You've learned something and it becomes a, a part of, of who you are. That you may abound yet more and more that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. So the love of a Christian grows in this way, that he grows in knowledge. Now the first knowledge in which he grows would be the knowledge of Christ. That is the knowledge of the word of God. Are we increasingly learning in our lives more and more about Christ, about the word of God. In the language here, what is told us is, what is said to us is that this love and this which comes from it in its abounding, in its, in its ever increasing, more and more in knowledge, it tells us that we can live all of our lives 
and we will never exhaust the unsearchable riches of the knowledge of Christ or the grace of God. It's an inexhaustible thing. It's the wonder of the scriptures. I've said many times, you can read a passage or you can read a book of the Bible over and over again, but I submit that every time you look at it and read it, it will teach you something different that you didn't know before. That's because the book of Hebrews teaches us that the word of God is living. It's alive and through the word which lives, the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit and we grow. So our overall love, which is a duty and not an emotion for a Christian, in its abounding, abounds yet more and more, number one, in knowledge because of our duty of love. We love people. Let me tell you how you can learn about people. Read the Bible. We want to learn more about God. Read the Bible. More about his Christ. Read the Bible. More about the wonderful doctrine of my salvation. Read the Bible. I've been doing this a long time. Reading the scriptures. Discovering new and special ways by which I can study the scriptures. And one of the things, one of, I mean, it's not just, there's so many areas that one can continue to grow in regarding abounding love as a duty as a Christian. Regarding that and respective to that, I keep learning more and more about every doctrine that there is, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Christ, it, it, the Bible is so rich in these things and you're taught these things that you didn't really grasp before. And I'll tell you why you didn't grasp it before. You haven't reached the place where you were ready to take it in to your heart. So it's like, <laughs> it's like I, was, I happened upon a thing on YouTube. It's a guy who teaches, <laughs> he teaches junior high math. I forget the guy's name. And he had this uh, math problem. I mean, you know, I, I lead an exciting life. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and it was like seven parentheses, four plus 12 Divided by something and then time divided by seven plus three times two parentheses. What's the answer? I said, oh, okay. I came up with something like 49. The answer was like 287. <laughs> For the life of me. I couldn't figure out how this junior high school math teacher came up with this answer. And before I, I, would, I would go, okay, well, okay, well, we did it. And then he reveals how he got it. What do they call it? Operations? Shut up. Come up to the stage and exegete for me, please. 
the book of Ecclesiastes from the original text of the Hebrew. No. That side of my brain, I will confess, did not develop. It was left in my mother's womb, math and science. And I got to thinking, I was thinking about this passage of scripture and I thought, well, you know, I just haven't grown into that yet. This, I probably did it in school at some point in time. The worst grades I ever made were in math. A D, I got a D one time. Now, it was automatic in my house. I don't care what you think about them. They're dead and you can't bring charges against them. I got a whipping if I brought home anything less than a C. So I thought to myself, okay, I have a standard. All I have to do is make a C. And that's about, that's about it in my life. I just want to see. I'm not asking for much. Just middle of the road. I don't want to be recognized and I don't want to be whipped. Awards mean nothing to me. Whippings kind of do. I just want the C, right? And so I, back on my old, I don't know how to do it now, but you used to take a, a, a credit card, a report card home card stock, it was folded, you know, and then they'd have conduct. They'd give you a grade on conduct. <laughs> See, that's, that's biased. That's a subjective thing, conduct. Well, don't get me started. Algebra, C plus, C, B minus, Ooh. C, C plus, C minus, D. I did everything I could. I was even considering forging my mother's signature. <laughs> but there's something about mothers. They know when six weeks is up. It's time for a report card, you know? And I didn't escape. And I guess that's why that slide, that particular YouTube thing caught my attention. It reminded me of a whipping. <laughs> so I thought, well, before I die, Maybe I can conquer this thing. And I failed. <laughs> Junior high school math teacher. Smart dude. Now, I hadn't grown into that yet, but I'm thinking about taking some online courses. <laughs> I got to grow into this stuff. This is the way it is in our Christian life. And this is how it is in our duty of love toward one another. May it overflow yet more and more and may it overflow in this way, number one, in knowledge. Not of algebra or whatever that was that I was talking about a while ago. But of God, of other Christians, of the Lord Christ. Is your love abounding and growing overwhelmingly and this cup of love overflowing when you think of fellow Christians, we should never be critical. We, sh we should never be ugly to brothers and sisters in Christ because it, it, it reveals a flaw here in our duty to love, which in Christ must abound. It must keep overflowing, abounding. Not only in knowledge, but in discernment. Discernment. Aesthesi. 
It means that you're able to see through the haziness of things. You can see how it really is. Discernment. That's, we, all, we all need that. And Pat has it in our life. Uh, she is discerning. I just sort of, you know, blast through life without deeply thinking about things. On the other hand, she has to slow me down sometimes. And so I pray for more discernment. This is abounding love. My duty as a Christian, that I, be able to see, I might be able to see through the haziness of things, that I might be perceptive about things. How do you become more discerning about things? Read the Bible. Pray, study God's word, seek to understand. You don't have to engage people to try to understand them. You think in your mind, why is this, why is this person like this, you know? And if you pray about it and think about it, sometimes you will discover that this person walking his or her own pathway faces difficulties or challenges that we don't face, and we have to take that into consideration. That's what, to see through the haziness of everything, your duty of love as a believer, the prayer is, oh, may it abound. May it overflow and increase exponentially so that the result is you're increasing in knowledge, more and more in knowledge, and more and more in discernment. Something that we need as Christians to help us, to help us maintain a level field and, and not become offended or offensive in our Christian lives, which is something he's going to cover here. Number two, for you to, that your love may abound, for you to approve the things being excellent. Approve, that's a, that's a good word. Dokumazin. Now the word means to put something to the test so that you can determine its purity, thereby being able to set a value to it. In life, we face, what do you, we face all kinds of stuff. Social stuff. Family stuff, even church stuff. Our, our attention is drawn in a thousand different directions. Time is demanded of us, it seems, and we have to prioritize what is to be approved. To be approved how? In that abounding love up there. My duty as a Christian. So that means that, that means the word actually, this is really interesting. It's the uh, that, that means to determine from what is good that which is best. It's not necessarily what's bad and what's good, but take, that, take what's good and determine what is best. 
And so these are the things that we put to the test. I'm looking to spend my life as a Christian. I'm looking to invest my duty of emotion in love as a Christian. Being that my life is limited, my time is limited, I'm looking in life constantly to put to the test and determine the purity those things that take my life and take my time so that I can set a value on it and those things that are of the most value in my Christian life, those are the things I want to pursue. I've, I have forsaken a lot of things in my life, things that at one time I thought were just so important. Paul will write, we'll see this a little later if God gives us a little later. In Philippians, he describes what a great person he was in a human sense. You know, I'm a Hebrew and I'm an Israelite and I'm of the tribe of Benjamin and I was, a, I was zealous toward the law and blameless concerning the law. I was a Pharisee. I was all of this. He was showing himself that in human eyes, he was the top of the heap in his world until Christ came. And he said, you know what? All of that I count as dumb. That is so meaningless in life to pursue Phariseeism. To pursue excellence as human minds perceive excellence. Those things are less than useless to me for the cause and sake of Christ. This is, this is how we should be in our lives. We, we get all, you know, we get all torn up inside about what to do, how to do, how to invest, what's most important. Paul's prayer and the Holy Spirit is saying that our duty of love as it abounds and overflows comes into life such that we are expected to put to the test, determine the purity, and set a value on the things in which we're involved and take the things that are most valuable and invest our lives there. That's what he's saying. Because otherwise it's useless. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. We studied Psalm 2 uh, Wednesday night. And it talked about how the nations are always engaged in any way to overthrow God and his Christ. And God laughs at them and mocks them in heaven. And asks the question to the nations of the world, why do you think a vain thing? The word vain in the Hebrew back there means do you be useless or empty? Because the history of the nations comes to nothing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Okay, you won a war. There were probably so many wars and that were won and kingdoms that were established in history we know nothing about. People who were heroes in their day because of some great accomplishment have long since disappeared in the dust of time. There is no record of accomplishment because it turns to uselessness because they sought to overthrow God and his Christ. It, don't, it won't ever work. God has already determined there's a kingdom coming 
and a king who will be enthroned therein. Now the same principle is here. We must stand before God someday, even as Christians, the judgment, of the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, let me tell you what's going to be uncovered for your life. It's going to be uncovered, discovered that on that foundation, he says, there's only one foundation that we can lay, and that's Jesus Christ. And then he talks about contrasting Christian lives. Here's a life that builds on that wood, hay, and stubble. Now, in the context, it's tested by fire. It's tried by fire. So here's, here's a Christian who's laid the foundation of Christ, but on his life, wood, hay, and stubble. He wasted so much of his life. On this, you know, gold, silver, precious jewels. Now, what happens to gold and silver and precious jewels is when subjected to fire, it only shines the more brightly. It only exposes itself more greatly. But wood, hay, and stubble are burned up. Now, this is the way it is in every Christian's life. It's probably not the it wasn't in my life, the kind of thing that, that happens all at once. I look back on my life and think of the things that I had invested so much time and effort in, even money, in my life. And I don't do them anymore. The time came where I just lost interest. But now in reflection, I was thinking, how much better things could I have done with all of that time and all of that effort? This is what his prayer is. Approve the things so that in your mind you can determine out of the good, that which is best. So this is a challenge. It's a daily challenge. Pray that your love may abound for you to approve the things being excellent, that are being excellent, that are the greatest and best things for you in your Christian life. Number three. So that, okay, hina. That's a subjunctive clause. It's a purpose clause. That means that what's about to be said progresses out of what has just been said previous. And it goes back up to the chi, to the conjunction. So anyway, all right. So that, okay, we've talked about all these things. So that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. That you may be pure. Alecrenes. That means unmixed. That means without alloy. Do you know what saved in God's grace? Do you know how he was described as being saved and, and escaped the flood? Noah? King James, I think, takes that Hebrew word and, and translates it as perfect. He was perfect in his... The word means he was unmixed. He was without alloy. He did not join the ridiculous rebellion against God in his day. He was unmixed. He was pure. This is the word. To be pure, to be unmixed, to be without alloy. All of these things in your life so that you may be pure, unmixed. You grow in Christ so that finally, hopefully, you come to the place where if you find yourself 
somehow mixed with the world. You, you shake it off. No, no, I don't want a part of that. So that you may be pure and blameless. Episcopoi, that you may be without blame, without fault. That you may not be offensive. That's another way of translating it. That you might be without offense. Are you offensive in any way? Are you, are you in such an attitude that you don't care if you offend people in the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, then you're not without blame, you see. Because that's not a product of overabounding love, the duty of a Christian. Are you unmixed? Do you mix your life with things of the world? Well, that's no good. Not at all. That's not, that's not a product of the duty of Christian love that abounds in a Christian's life. So that, all of these things, so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. Our greatest concern in life, our greatest pursuit in life as a Christian should be this. We are in pursuit of of living a life that is pure and blameless because Christ may come today. Boy, the last thing I want to be doing is be doing some hateful or worldly thing when the Lord calls his church up to himself. We should be constantly mindful of the approaching day of Jesus Christ and live our lives accordingly. All right, number four. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness that is through Jesus Christ. This means that from this duty, this overabounding duty of love as a Christian, Living as we should live, growing in knowledge, discernment, approving the things that are excellent, seeking purity and faultlessness to the day of Christ. Thus, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. We are fruit-bearing Christians. We are active Christians, bearing fruit for the Lord. This is just automatic. This will happen. In such a life. Fruit bearing. What fruit? Fruits of righteousness. And there is no way. That I can produce. A righteous fruit. Only Christ in me. Can produce it. So that's what he says. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. That is through. Dia. Through. Jesus Christ. It is Christ working in me. These, these, the, the, the clogs of life, 
the restrictions that restrict the flow of things in life, those things will be removed and will flow away. If I follow the plan here, knowing that the result is from my life, there will be fruits of righteousness. Now I can know that the Lord Christ can freely flow through me. These things of Christian life are paramount in my life and nothing else matters but serving Christ and showing myself to my fellow Christians that I am overflowing in the duty of self-sacrificial love toward them. Then what happens? And this is what we all want from our lives at the end of everything. This is what we want. want. To the glory and praise of God. You see, all the stuff that you do in Christ is through Christ, therefore glorifies Christ. Can't glorify us. These things could never come from us. It has to be Christ in us. And at the end of it all, There is glory and praise to Almighty God. What a happy Christian we would be, resurrected and standing in the presence of our Savior, knowing that everything about life for us was for His glory and His praise, so that No man can boast, Paul writes to the Ephesians. There's nothing, no work, nothing we can do saved by the grace of God. The grace of God works in us. And finally, at the end of it, is raised up as glory and praise to God. The declaration from heaven being this is what I created you for, for my glory and my praise, to the glory and praise of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, we will be dismissed from this room. But let me make this appeal to you just now. If you're here without Christ, you'll know it. And if God draws you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, to save you, you'll know it. What you need to do, if you would, is just to go. We have deacons and wives just across the hallway as you exit. You'll see them in the doorway. Let them pray with you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Secondly, maybe you're here and God leads you to come and be a part of our membership at Shiloh. They are prepared to pray with you and work with you there as well as the Lord speaks to your heart. Prayerfully now, let us stand and be dismissed in prayer.